Welcome to the Black Minimalists Podcast, where every month we will share the stories of fellow minimalists who look like us and share our experiences. On this podcast, you will hear our triumphs, fails, laughs, and breakthroughs. Special thanks to Brother Onachi for the music on this episode, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, Farai Harold. Let's start the show. Welcome everyone. Today I am joined by Samantha Josephat. She is an architect and a minimalist and I am so glad to have her on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this interview. Yeah, all right. Well, let's jump right into it. How long have you been a minimalist and when did you discover minimalism? Um, I've been a minimalist, I would say, probably since I've been young, like in high school, when I've really been able to like curate my own room and um, organize myself in a way that I felt comfortable. I think I took it to another level once I started school, like college, mm-hmm. and I got hip to sustainability and how you could approach sustainability in so many different ways. And then as I got older and I moved into my own place in Brooklyn, I just took it to another level. And it's, I think, As I enter a new chapter in my life, I just try to practice being a little bit more minimal to be a bit more environmentally conscious and, you know, self-aware of what I'm doing in my daily routines. Yeah. So what does minimalism mean to you? So everyone has like a different, you know, definition. Some people are more sustainable. Some people are more um, about the aesthetic. What does it mean specifically to you? Minimalism to me is being practical, Mm -hmm. but still being comfortable with that aesthetic that comes from your practicability um, in how you carry out things. So, for example, I'm very minimal in my furniture selection at home, but I make sure it works. For example, when I first moved into my place, I said I didn't want a couch. Why? Because I found a better solution, which was a pillow sack, which acts as a couch that I could sit on and do my work. I could sit on and um, watch TV in, but then I could also, you know, pull it out and it becomes a full-size bed for any guests that I have. And so to me, that's using a couch and a bed in one way. And so that's being uh, minimalist financially. That's being minimalist uh, um, environmentally because you know, one product is being made versus two different products from two different factories. And so, like I said before, I kind of look at minimal being minimalist in many different views, whether it's financially, environmentally, or just, you know, practically. Okay, what did you say that was, a pillow sack? Yeah, it's a pillow sack. The brand, the, the company's name is Love Sack, and the type of, it's basically, um... A bean bag, but mm-hmm. it doesn't use like the beans in a typical yeah. bean bag. It's this type of foam that you know regenerates itself after oh, every time snap. you sit on it, and it's pretty awesome. And every guest that I have at my home loves it. Uh, that sounds awesome. I'm gonna have to look that up because yeah, I, I remember like the bean bags from back in the day that I had when I was a kid, but those would always fall apart. No, this one is the real deal. Like it's really good. Mm. Well, yeah, I've been I've been on the hunt for one, so thank you for sharing that. So, um, how does a half Jamaican, half Haitian girl end up being one of like the, an architect? Like what? I mean, when I was in school, I 
I mean, like, yeah, I studied hard sciences, but that never really, there, there was no encouragement into STEM work. How did you end up becoming the three, the 397th female, black female architect in a pool of 100,000 in this country? How did that happen? Yikes. It happened naturally and organically and surprisingly. Mm-hmm. So... I was always good at um, math and science, and I never really liked literature. And so even when I didn't understand things when I was younger, I would spend hours on a math problem. And so by the time I got to high school, and even though I was a class clown, I always had really good grades and would make A's on my exam. And so I knew I wanted to kind of focus within the math because it just worked out easy for me. It was less work for me, I felt. Yeah. And so um, I explored... Um, I explored subjects that pertain to math or science, particularly math. It wasn't until college I realized science has a large impact on Mm -hmm. um, architecture, whether in regards to like materiality and, you know, just geography and sight and stuff like that. But um, I think the combination of being both Jamaican and Haitian really worked in my favor. And not that, you know, any other, you know, person couldn't end up where I'm at. But for me, it was, you know, that determined, great work ethic that, you know, I always saw my parents had no matter what they were doing, like they were determined when they set a goal. And, you know, fortunately it worked for me, even though, you know, some of my stubborn ways would, you know, get on some people's nerves. Like, why do you want to do this? And I'm just like, don't ask me why I want to do this. This is just what I want to do. And I'm focused. Exactly. Um, so the funny thing is my grandfather, when we lived in Poughkeepsie, New York, he was in construction and he would always just tell me, Oh, I work on bridges. And I didn't really know what that meant, but I would see the clothes he wear and the hammers and, that was my only connection to the construction industry. Other than that, everybody in my family worked within the medical industry. Everyone was a nurse. My dad worked as um, an environmental safety manager at the hospital. And so I was always connected more so to the hospital and the medical yeah. field. But that, to me, I was just like, okay, everyone's doing it. I'm annoyed. I want to try something <laughs> different. So I got into architecture and my grandfather was really excited and he was like one of the main people like pushing me and interested in all the little small projects I would do in my house, like create a TV stand from scratch or a little small storage in my room. Yeah. And he'd teach me how to like, you know, nail things together and how I'd have to use like wood glue at the same time. And so I think it was a combination of work ethic and then having my grandfather have that share that passion with me. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I was trying to, like, imagine the trajectory, and I was like, how even? Because that's fabulous. Um, my next question for you is, how do you navigate working in that environment without, you know, I'm sure there's not much diversity. So how, how what is that like? Yeah, that came I mean, as you're a young, shocker you're black. two different times in my career. Yeah. One was when I was in school. Like, you know, going into architecture, I, I didn't know much. I didn't know much about you know, the workforce or even school. And so I didn't know what to expect until I got there and I realized there was a drastic difference. Mm -hmm. Like even sitting in a lecture class, a professor was talking about a window pane. And in my head, I was just like, what's a window pane? And I, you know, my mind was focused for like 10 to 15 minutes on trying to figure out what a window pane was because I didn't have the internet in front of me. And while everyone else is carrying on with this lecture, I'm stuck. And 
it's like little things like that or just cultural differences where um, a professor would relate to something that was very um, understanding for a lot of people that was like over my head for oh, me. that's my And life. so that's when I started to know the difference or like even the way I spoke and the little things I said, if I was making a joke, sometimes it would be offensive or people would be too shocked that I said something and I'm just like don't we all say that? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, did I offend someone? Or, mm-hmm. you know, just those cultural difference, that was a big hurdle for me. And then once I got into the real world again, I was just like, okay, I'm done with school. I figured it out. You know, I have my degree. Mm-hmm. No one can treat me different because I'm just as equal. Yeah. And then it happens again. So then you realize, wow, adults aren't as great as I thought they are. They're just as childlike as Mm -hmm. people in college. Mm -hmm. And so trying to navigate that and communicating between different people, like myself or not like myself, that was a challenge. And what I found to help me, which I didn't find until after I graduated, was, well, I actually started a NOMA chapter at school, which is a national organization of minority architects. And I would go to their conferences and I would make connections, but it wasn't until I got out into the real world and I joined the professional chapter where I really started making really great connections and, you know, some of my first jobs came from there. Mm -hmm. And whether I was making a connection with someone who was in New York City or, you know, continuing a connection I had with a girlfriend of mine in Portland, we always stayed connected and being able to share each other's experiences that were very similar that, you know, our typical coworker couldn't relate to was very helpful. So being a part of an organization and um, connecting on that level, whether it was at a conference or, you know, simply through text messages, it's just having someone to communicate with that could understand you or be a listening ear without saying, "Uh, I don't know if she's right for this job. Yeah, no, that, that makes so much sense. I want to talk about um your so the Studio Three Nine Seven brand because you your branding like your Instagram is really well thought out like so is this is this your own personal studio that you run like how does it work? Yes, this is my own personal studio that I founded mm-hmm. that I'm looking to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so Studio Three Nine Seven comes off of me being the 397th licensed black female architect in all of the United States. And I wanted to create a studio that was multidisciplinary. So it wasn't a traditional architecture firm Mm -hmm. because to me, I didn't want to, as much as I love architecture, I wanted to explore architecture as well as an art, a social art. And, you know, um, whether it's product design or so like, you know, doing social work through architecture or just a typical architecture project. I wanted it to be a studio where we can practice many different things and not be, you know, confined to just the traditional firm where, you know, you do your construction drawings, you sit in construction administration meetings and follow through construction. Cause I kind of want to open up the idea of architecture to the general public and make everyone feel like they can be an architect themselves because in other countries sometimes you don't necessarily have to have a license and so like one time I was in Greece and someone told me yeah everyone's an architect here and it's basically we all take care of our property and we learn from each other and even though in the United States you have to be a licensed professional and go through this rigorous schooling and um, licensing exam 
I want clients to be able to understand architecture better because it'll make my job easier and it'll reduce the amount of stress they have when they hear all this information. And so we want our studio to be very open um, to the general public and also provide a, a different view at looking at things and creating a work environment that is comfortable for, you know, anyone to come so that there isn't just one type of person working in our office. Yeah. Anyone could be in our office and feel just as equal. And that was really important to me. So what I'm hearing is when we build our little black minimalist community, you're going to be in on that, helping us plan everything out. You better believe. <laughs> you better believe it. Okay. Well, so I loved what you talked about, um, architecture and social social art. I know that you have an exhibit right now with the UN. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure it's bummed that, you know, this is going this is probably going to come out towards the tail end of that. But could, do you mind talking yeah. a little bit about it? So the UN every year has an exhibition about um, uh, the history of slavery. And this year, it's, the theme is Remember Slavery. And so they wanted to pick a group of designers and architects mm-hmm. that are from um, African descent. Um, to portray like the triumphs that have come from slavery and so me and I think 20 25 other architects and um, designers have been selected to showcase uh, some of our projects in the lobby of the visitors center at the UN which is very exciting and you know sometimes I'm I'm around greatness a lot like my small pool of black female architects or minority female architects we're so amazing that sometimes I forget how like close a proximity I am to like such greatness yeah and for example you know we were talking amongst each other when we first learned about the exhibit and we were all excited but I forgot to kind of share with like my family and friends and it wasn't until I was going to the UN because I knew it was a private event at the first opening ceremony Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was going I was like texting friends and family like oh hey by the way I'm on my way to the UN because I have work exhibited there and everyone's like what the hell Samantha like (laughs) that's not something you just throw off you know randomly and I was just like oh yeah this is freaking awesome and so when we got there and you know some of the women you know spoke at the event I realized like this is really freaking big and Mm -hmm. thankfully there's another um ceremony to encase both the exhibition and a lot of other things that they're highlighting this month that's happening on the 26th um they're having a uh I think it's like a council meeting Mm -hmm. of some sort and then later after that they have this big exhibition which is going to be like a concert and different foods from different countries and so that'll be exciting while we can share our work so wow that does that's an amazing opportunity that I didn't expect to have so soon in my career no that's awesome well hey you're doing big things big things come to big people (laughs) so um what's your dream project like if you could do one thing I know clearly you have like lots of goals and there's many things that you want to do but if you could do one thing what would it what would it be it would be a co-working slash living building Mm mm-hmm not just the space where we're just designing the interiors for people who would be living and working in there, but a building that kind of, that really responds to, you know, their interaction between someone living and working there or, you know, someone coming from another place to work in the building, but this is also a building where someone lives. So somewhat of a mixed-use building, but 
specifically for people that live and work in these spaces. Mm. Why? Because to me, it's a little bit more practical and sustainable to pay rent for one place and really enjoy that one place. I feel like, you know, while I was working in corporate America, I struggled with the idea that I'm paying so much for rent and I'm barely at home. I'm in someone else's office working half of the time. And so being able to be more efficient in where my money is going and where I am, where I'm practicing whatever I'm doing, whether it's something personally or for work. And the reason why I say uh, co-working and living spaces, because I'm really big on shared spaces. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, everyone wants to have a laundry mat, I mean, a washing machine or a dryer in their home or their apartment, but it's more sustainable if everyone's sharing a machine because it's For less sure. energy being used sure. and less impact on the environment. And so if we can, if I can create a building that allows someone to have their personal space while being a part of a community it'll work better for everyone. Wow. I mean, you know, I've never thought about it that way, but I love that. And I think, especially for our generation, more and more people work from home, especially in this digital age, right? And yeah. so it makes sense to have places that accommodate that. Yeah, and, you know, I've heard people who work from home, and, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, you know, how do you work from home? Because right now I just started my business, so, you know, I work from home, and they're like, I can never get anything done, but I just know how to focus, and the work that I do requires me to focus, so I zone out anyways. But a lot of people prefer to work around people, and so if you could have that co-working space that they have, whether it's um, WeWork or The Yard or, you know, other um, places that you can work alongside other people. That's another efficient way to work where, you know, 10 people are using one printer instead of one person using a printer and then Mm -hmm. on the apartment next door, someone else has a printer, so. Yeah. Wow. That gives me something to think about. Yeah. Have you ever designed any, you know, so as the last interview that we did with Chantal, she lives in a tiny home. And have you ever done anything like that? Have you ever designed one? Do you have any interest in tiny living? I do have an interest in tiny living. One, because being in an urban area, you kind of have to design as if you're living in a tiny home, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, unattached or attached to another home. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the work that happens in um, condo spaces in New York tend to have the layout of space in a tiny home mindset and so like one of the renovations I'm doing near Hudson Yards which is uh, one of the residential renovations that I'm doing we're trying to create a space that is very open and airy but provide a lot of storage and so we're trying to find unique ways on how to use storage and so it's like looking at the vertical height of a space instead of thinking wide how tall can you go with your storage because you know you can use that height instead of it being dead space um another approach i took to tiny home living was actually a project i did in tanzania which was more so a research project Mm -hmm. and it was looking at a way of how the village members can utilize their homes more efficiently while also utilizing the their land and how they could use it as a community and so what i did was i looked at the issue of why do um, the village members move from home to home so often and it was because you know the homes weren't properly built so like when there was a big storm homes would be flooded and so i i provided a guideline on how to 
um, build a proper foundation so that when there's a big rainstorm, your house isn't flooded. Or there were um, ideas that I proposed, such as landscaping around the windows so that, you know, if you're having um, rain come down from off the roof, it's not creating these puddles, which are creating habitats for mosquitoes to thrive and, you know, what could come from having mosquitoes. And so little things like that, or like how far the overhang of the roof was, because that would block the sun out during hot months, but it'll also, you know, drain out the water from away from your house and not into your house. And so little things like that. And then I created these community lots where, you know, one one home could be uh, uh, having uh, land that grows crops such as corn. And then another land probably would have a well where everyone would come and use the water. So it was a community space where everyone worked off of each other. And that happens now. But I created a guideline to provide proper infrastructure so that that could stay in place and that they're not moving from place to place. Because after a while, like, all the land is degraded and there's nowhere to go. And so it's like, instead of moving from place to place, let's really work at how to build a sustainable and good foundation for this community living. Well, I love all this talk of community. But yeah, I know. I love the idea, too, of working smarter with the, what you have you know improving yeah. on it yeah because I think it's really easy in my experience as someone who lived in Africa in Botswana and then moving here like there's such a disposable like well you know we it's so easy yeah. for us to throw things away and I feel also with like industrialization and urbanization too that's something that just happens when something isn't serving you we don't necessarily look so much at how to repair it or how to improve it we just chuck it and get another one yeah and I think that's why I really really love sustainability because there's levels to it and like it can be applied in any economic um in any economic situation any you know financial situation I feel like I could always talk about being sustainable sustainable with anyone yeah because it's such a wide range and we could learn from some third world countries that have been doing things for years that we decided to walk away from and then we walked away so far that we're so far gone from the natural element of it being efficient and so I think the idea of sustainability is a, a good topic to explore like this cultural diplomacy between two different worlds yeah Okay, so now I have to ask you, because you watched Black Panther, didn't you? I did! Okay, I did, I did. as like a More black... Once. I know, right? So as a black like girl nerd who's into STEM and stuff, how did that feel for you? Girl. Girl, girl, girl. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Like, that movie gave me life. Yeah. And it's still giving me life. For I mean, sure. whether it's from like the unique architecture of them flying into their um, their space where, mm-hmm. you know... They had their science lab to, yeah. like, the clothing they were. Like, there were times where I was in the movie and I was like, I need to take out my phone because I have an idea and mm-hmm. I need to write it down. Like, even in um, one of the scenes where the cousin... Oh, spoiler alert, found... people. <laughs> For those oh, of y'all who haven't watched yes, it. Yes, yes. So, when, in, when one of the scenes, we were in the homes of one of the cousins mm-hmm. and he was sitting on his throne. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this would be such a hot interior design for a bar. Mm-hmm. And so, it's like... Little things like that I think of and, you know, whether it's the technology they use, I'm thinking about how can this be applied to, like, you know, a facade, like the envelope of a building or how can architecture change itself the way they're using the technology to change, you know, 
the the uniforms yeah, that they're wearing yeah. and stuff like that. So I I just was getting ideas from every and any angle. Yeah, I I love how like art inspires real world stuff, and then sometimes real world stuff inspires yeah. art as well. So yeah, I completely relate. That movie is still 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 giving me life there's and then it had its social impact and you know which sure. you know can relate to architecture or it could just not relate to architecture it was it was everything it, it was, was everything and more than i expected and i'm so grateful for it me too i know uh, the whole gang of us yolanda and Ika and i and kenya we were all like we need to have a separate meeting just for us to process yes. how great this was for us you know so true like i you know i watched it the first time and I discussed it with my girlfriends um, and my family. But then, like, I was like, no, I'm taking my younger cousins and we're going to discuss this because I want to know, like, how they received the movie and mm-hmm. what I wanted them to get from it, but to even learn what they got from it. Yeah, and they get to see, like, a little black girl being a scientist. Yes. Oh, yes. so good. Okay, we can, then we'll talk, then we'll, this will end up being the whole podcast. But. I, I know, I know. <laughs> so, I wanted to talk about, so you mentioned that you were renovating a space, right? So, what does what does your work look like? Like, do you create buildings from the ground up? Do you renovate spaces? Do you, Is it a mixture of everything? Like, what kind of work do you do? I would say it's a mixture of everything. So, when I'm dealing with um, new construction, I tend to work with a larger team. And so, sometimes I'm either con- consulting with a larger architecture firm or I'll bring people on to help uh, push it yeah but um, when I'm doing things on my own or with a smaller team it'll be like a smaller renovation or a small commercial project and because in New York, we're in New York a lot of our work tends to be renovation because there's buildings everywhere and yeah, for sure you see a lot of new construction but it requires a lot to do new construction as far as like finding a lot that is vacant or demolishing a, a couple buildings to create the space for one building. Yeah. And so you find more architects and designers here in New York doing a lot of renovation projects. And so, you know, the process of that can range depending on what a client wants, but a full process would be, you know, a client coming to us with a program and a saying like, okay, I have this issue how can I solve it programmatically within the space that I have? And so we'll create a conceptual design where we kind of touch on like the look and feel of what the client is looking for and as well as the program that they're looking for. And then once that's that's defined, we bring it into schematic design where we're, you know, starting to lay it out in a floor plan type of way. And then from there we do design development where it's more so developed and solidified. Yeah. And then from design development, we go into construction documents where we're, we're preparing legal documents that the department of building has to um, approve. And then we send to the contractors to build. And from there, while the contractors are building, the architects are in construction administration where we'll answer any questions that the contractor has to clarify the design intent and we'll see the project through and try to you know hold the hand of the client but not too tight because sometimes the client likes to change things mm-hmm. too late in the game or they're asking for a lot and they don't require the work that goes behind it so it's a it's it's a process and sometimes it's a push and pull of in the, within the process but it's an exciting process yeah it sounds you sound like you love it so that's awesome. yeah and since I've been on my own I've loved it even more and I think it's because I had the freedom 
and time to learn. Mm-hmm, for sure. So what about like sustainability? I understand architecture and the tie to math and how that just kind of came naturally for you. But what about sustainability? Is there like one certain cause that m- made you care about it more or? Well, I just didn't know. Like I said, like I, I think I've been living sustainably or been conscious about it for a while, but I didn't know it was sustainability until I got to college and they started using that word and they started talking about the technology behind it. And when I learned the science behind like how a material could be sustainable Mm -hmm. and how a a building system could be sustainable, um, it really got me excited as far as like changing the world Mm -hmm. because I always joke and say, you know, uh, at the beginning of the ice age, you know, we were, I don't know, I think we were like two degrees less than what we are now. And mm-hmm. as far as like temperature and by mid century, we're going to be uh plus four degrees. And I was just like, how are we going to live? Like, how sure. are people even going to function? Like it's going to be fire falling from the sky basically. So <laughs> that has gotten me very nervous. And if I can take one step at trying to help reduce when that happens yeah I feel like I'm helping my future family whether it's my personal family or you know friends family and stuff like that and as edu as as I become more educated I sarcastically educate the people around me I mean sometimes they think I'm crazy but they also know like there's logic to what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and so um it just makes you I think the idea of being sustainable makes you more comfortable with your choices and more aware and feeling like you have more of a purpose and so you know I just I forgot your question it was (laughs) no you answered (laughs) I just got too excited yeah no you answered it you answered it perfectly I have another question though so what place has been the most impressive to you architecturally or what building or place does a good job of being like sustainable like what lessons can we take so there is a building that I always remember and I always look to for inspiration and it's in Berlin but it's the Scandinavian embassies that are in Berlin and just the use of traditional material and new material and how they use it Mm -hmm. like they're using wood but they're using glass and they're using it on the facade in a way that speaks to how the sun hits the building yeah which then is represented in the interiors because you know you're using your natural daylight but as the the sun moves you know the lights start turning on and so the building itself is you know a smart building but it's also a very beautiful building and I just love when people use traditional material with new material in a very nice classy detailed way see I feel like Scandinavians have got they they use their brains when they're working oh now if you want to talk sustainability yeah we need to take a trip up there I know uh even I don't know what it is about those I, I guess it's called like Nordic countries but even from like their child their child rearing advice to like yeah. their medical system yeah to their sustainability even like ikea i was in ikea yesterday and they they have these small rooms where it's like 297 square feet this is all yeah. you can do with like they had a kitchen bathroom yeah, and you're like, dang. Room. I know. I'm like, this I'm is... just in this small space. And I know, and I was like, that one room was smaller than my 
than my whole bedroom. And in my and and on my way to IKEA, I was like, oh, this bedroom is so small. My bed don't fit. You know, yeah. I was like, <laughs> and then I get to IKEA and I'm like, look how excellently they're using this space. Yeah, it's funny you say that because another reason why I got into architecture was when we moved from Poughkeepsie, New York to Georgia. Eventually, my mom started, a couple years later, my mom was looking for a house, and between me and my two other sisters, I was always the one to go house hunting with my mom, and I could never find a house that actually worked in my head. I was like, why would you put a bedroom here? Why would you put the bathroom here? And so in my head, I was like, you know what? I'm, I didn't even know it was called an architect. I was just like, I'm going to design houses. Like, that's all I knew or whatever. Yeah, like, I and then by the time I got better. to college, I was saying, oh, I don't want to design houses because I can't deal with the one client that is going to go crazy. But now that I have my own practice, that's what I'm dealing with. Yeah. But I love it. But um, I thought about designing houses. But as I started getting older, I kept on saying to myself, I don't want a house because I'm just going to get lost in a house. And it kind of, and I thought it divided a family. If everyone has their own rooms, they always go to their own quarters. And I was just like, in order to keep this family feel, you needed to be in a smaller space. And so I always said growing up, oh, you know, once I get enough money to own my own place, I'm getting a condo so that I'm not in this huge place that requires you know, all this maintenance that requires separation between people. I wanted to create community, this environment mm -hmm. um, that kind of fostered communication. And even when I was looking for our apartment in Brooklyn, like we tend to look at um, older buildings because those give you a lot of space, but it's still small enough to feel like, okay, I got to communicate with whoever is living in here with yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is a perfect, like, one of, we're coming towards the end here, but what tips do you have for people who are renovating or redesigning their home, like, sustainability and function-wise? And I want to preface that by saying, I'm in the middle of renovating my house right now. It's ah. a clusterfuck, and the, you know, I, too, am coming across, like, how do I maximize storage and, like, space while doing like how do you do this smartly like do you, you have to think about the stuff you don't think about for example what's happening under your bed like that is perfect storage mm -hmm. right then and there um you know a lot of times we spread things out in the kitchen cabinets yeah. of our kitchen you can like dedicate one cabinet to things that don't even belong in the kitchen, but you're like, this is where it's gonna be. And if you organize your, your cabinetry in a way, like that is a perfect place to maximize space. Um, I always tell people whether they're looking for a place or they have place, pay attention to the where the windows are. That's like the first thing I look at because yeah. to me, like getting sunlight into the house is everything. And yeah. if you're on like the, in the United States, if your, your window is on the Northern facade, you tend to get a more diffused light. So that's where you want your bedroom or that's where you want to, you know, do your working during the I'm day. I'm trying to figure out where the noise is right have, now. <laughs> yeah. But then if your windows are on the southern facade, you get this very direct harsh light, which mm -hmm. I love still because I feel like I could sit in front of the window and feel like I'm on the beach if I just look into the sky. Yeah. And, um... And so that's where you tend to have your, your living room or your kitchen where you'll have more evening activities where you need that late light. Mm -hmm. And so paying attention, you know, just to the sun and, you know, where the sun is falling during the time of the year because during the winter, the sun is coming into your space farther than the sun does, you know, in the summer. And so, like, where I put my plants, 
always moves depending on the time of the year. Or even little things like if I'm working at home all day, I know at 11 o'clock, because based on how the sun hits the building across from me, it creates a deep shadow into my place. And so during that time, I'm doing activities that doesn't require me looking for the sun. Yeah. And so like really paying attention to your environment and having it, you know, guide you on like how your space should be designed and how you should interact with your space. And then I would say, you know, looking at, um, uh, textures and textiles, whether it's the curtains. I love contrast because like for window treatments, I have a dark gray curtain sitting on top of a white curtain. And so the white brings the light in, but then the dark creates that contrast that creates even more of a window for me to look out. And so little things like that. And you know, that dark um, curtain also acts as like a, 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 what do they call it? Not a sun blocking shade, but like a blackout shade. Yeah, blackout so, shade. Like using your materials to the best of its ability. For sure. And I I don't think that those are things that I thought about when I was younger, but now that I'm older and I'm like, okay, I need to if I'm gonna be spending money on these things, I need to be doing it as effectively as possible. So Yeah. Well, you've given me a lot to think about. And also not putting very um delicate fabrics near the sun because Mm -hmm. that bleaches out things yeah it does well i uh, i don't even know i'm like okay now i need to go back to the drawing board and change some things (laughs) send me over your floor plan i'll give you some advice girl all right don't even worry about it (laughs) Uh, so where can people find you online so my company's website is studio397architecture.com. Mm-hmm. You can also find me on Instagram at studio397. I have a LinkedIn account if you just look up Samantha Josephat. And my email address is s.josephat at studio397architecture.com. If you're type in my help. name, mm-hmm. type in studio397architecture, and you'll find me. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was really awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it again. Thanks so much for tuning in. Special thanks to Brother Onachi for the music on this podcast. If you want to learn more about who we are or what we do, please visit blackminimalists.net or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where we strive to create community, freedom, and simplicity through intentional living. I'm your host, Farai Harold. Be free.